Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we earn minor charges just by getting up in the morning. On today's episode, we delve into Unknown Armies, the game where hobos cast spells, JFK was a secret alien, and the points don't matter. You're going to love this episode. I guarantee it. Floppy old topper. Yeah, floppy old topper he is. Yeah, that's from our stream we were doing the other night where John and I found a hat in the Stardew Valley game we were playing called a floppy old topper, and no one thought that was funny but us. Yeah, only we thought that that was a hilarious British term. Yeah, the sort of thing that, like, David Mitchell wouldn't be caught dead saying, but, you know, maybe Jonathan Ross would. You know, it's the kind of thing where you'd be like, come on, you floppy old topper, get up, you can't spend all day in a pub, you're an MP. Yeah, it's basically the sort of thing that you routinely refer to Nick Frost as. <laughs> He's a floppy old topper. Yeah, that's the, Nick Frost and Hugh Grant's haircut. <laughs> Hugh Grant's haircut is the floppy old topper. <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of fun to see our, our uh, show process work in real time. You know, because we've done one live episode in the past. Just the one. Just the one. Uh, but... It was sort of neat to watch jokes not land, but except for John and me and us being like, yeah, this is still good. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I, don't, I don't give it's, a fuck. I just remembered who I do this for. <laughs> this is for me. <laughs> I don't get paid to stream. I only do this for John. We can't get paid to stream right now. Yeah. It turns out we got to, like, earn it. It takes, like, a month of proving you've got the nards to... to <laughs> and, and I think by by the time we get it, we do enough streaming to start earning bits or bops or whatever they, they give you on Twitch... Yeah, boggins. I'll be completely bored anyway. Yeah. You've got one of those I-don't-care-about-this-anymore personalities. I really do. Like, I'm already bored of Stardew Valley. Oh, I know. Now, eh, listeners, if you didn't know that we stream, ooh, baby, we do. We just started streaming for fun. So we if you want to follow System Mastery on Twitch, ooh, we might stream at some point. I it, mean, we're definitely going to stream again at some point. That'd be a big help, actually, because apparently part of the process by which you become a what was it, an affiliate? Verified. A verified. You get a check mark or something? Yeah. Uh, the person comes uh, to your house and just stands there. <laughs> that's what it is. That's, that's how, that's how you know. Twitch sends a guy around. That's how you know you made it. There's just a guy in your house now. His name's Tuttle. He's here to make sure you're twitching right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently we need to have a certain number of followers, too. So please follow us on Twitch, I guess. I guess. Occasionally we'll do stuff. And wouldn't you know it, the stuff we do on Twitch is basically identical to the stuff we do on the show. It's basically this, but now you can look at video games while it happens. Yeah, or you could look at your own video games while listening to the show. I'm not judging. I don't give a shit. Do what you want. I'm Jeff, by the way. That's John. Hello. Welcome to System Mastery. Yeah, this ain't your first episode. And boy, howdy, if it is, I am sorry. <laughs> we, we did not start this off the way we normally do. It's fine to say that this isn't your first episode now because at this point anyone whose episode or for, for whom this was the first episode has turned it off and gone back to listen to the McElroys or whatever oh yeah no yeah. if they if they were like ooh, i've heard of unknown armies and i've never listened to a podcast before mm -hmm. i wonder what these gentlemen have to say i'm sure it's a reasoned and normal argument about the pros and cons of playing this game and then they started it up and they were like oh wait a minute these are two chuckle fuck idiots i'm out of here they won't stop talking about floppy old toppers <laughs> I don't remember floppy old topper as one of the avatar options. <laughs> well, it's a floppy old topomancer. <laughs> or you could be an avatar of the floppy old top. <laughs> That's what I'm I'm talking about, the the avatar of the floppy old topper. <laughs> Known avatars of the floppy old topper are Rumpole of the Old Bailey. <laughs> 
<laughs> I am the god walker of the floppy old topper. <laughs> Wait, have you actually read Rumpel stuff too? No. Oh, there's a show, isn't there? I don't know. <clears throat> Do you? Okay, well, then maybe you just don't know what I'm talking about. I don't. Oh, well, perfect. How are you? How are you doing? <laughs> Brother, how's it going, man? <laughs> Can I borrow a cup of dimes? <laughs> Please, yes. I need a cup of dimes. <laughs> Not quarters, because they pack in less tightly. Brother, can I borrow a cup of dimes? <laughs> what album is that? Uh, who, who, is that like a Van Houten's? <laughs> well, I guess it could just be the Van Houten family, because this is borrow a feeling. Yeah, I know. But, but who's the person who really wants to borrow a cup? Who's the poor musician who needs to borrow a cup of dimes? <laughs> I don't know, man. Don't ask me. I don't know about music. Okay. That's why I do this. That's Yeah, that's right. That's why if we do If I the... knew about music, I'd be a millionaire by now. <laughs> I'd own the biggest mansion in mansion land. I'd have a mansion and a yacht. <laughs> Unta yacht. I'd be Elmer J. Fudd. <laughs> millionaire. So uh, what we're going to be doing today is reviewing some edition of Unknown Armies. I believe this is the second edition. If there are, if we are right and there are currently three editions of Unknown Armies, then this is the second one. Oh, I'm right. You're right? This okay. is the second one Did and there's a third one. you do a small one. amount of research? No, there's, there's a sidebar in this about, hey, there are some people that when they played the first edition asked us questions. Oh, okay. That's fair. So they put an FAQ in here for a previous edition of the game? Uh, basically it's, why do you do things a certain way mm -hmm. in this game? And they were like, after the first edition, people asked us why this was a certain way. And this is what we have to say to them. I guess we shouldn't just say they, because this book's pretty much a singular vision kind of book. This is a Greg Stolze book. Hey, there's, there's a lot of names helping out on this one. That's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, but Stolze's one of those dudes who consistently writes good role-playing games. Does and, he? Yeah, yeah. And he's not a weird sex pest. And he doesn't have a three-hectare beard with birds growing in it, as far as I know. Yeah, this so. one had, uh, it definitely had Ken Height on it. Oh, man. That that old vampire. <laughs> had Rick Neal and James Palmer and Chad Undercoffler? Chad Undercoffler. I've heard of him. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a supervillain. He threatens the incredible. The Overcoffler. <laughs> he's the he threatens the overgobbler. <laughs> it's a very tight book. It's, ooh, it's real good. <laughs> That's just like Black Lightning's famous villain, Blacker Lightning. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with White Thunder, but okay. Nope, Blacker Lightning. <laughs> Black Lightning and yet Blackerer Lightning. <laughs> Anything else would be racist. <laughs> Yeah, if I went white lightning, that's, that's, that's racist. That's clearly a problem, yeah. Well, but, no, that's clearly just uh, bathtub hooch. Oh, yeah, you're right, it is. Or like a race car, maybe. Uh, but, but yeah, black lightning is just one of the many different black lightning guys. The, the black guys who have lightning powers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, but people say that all the time, but I can only name like three of them off the top of my own head. Yeah. Uh, static yeah, Shock. Static Shock and Black Vulcan. Yeah. Black Lightning is just a... Or Black Vulcan is literally a ripoff of Black Lightning who exists that they didn't have to pay an artist. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm sure there are more. I'm sure there are more. So many more. And there are also so many great deals on microwaves. <laughs> but anyway, John, Unknown Armies is a very unusual game with a uh, very specific sort of premise to it. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Unknown Armies is... The way that I would sort of elevator pitch this to people is it is broken people that use their brokenness to shape reality. Now, let's talk about how fine of a line that is before it goes over to offensive. This book walks the line on a lot of very touchy subjects. Uh, it's got issues with mental illness. Mm -hmm. uh 
uh, gender identity. It's got a lot of little things in there that I think could have been handled better in the book. But yeah. honestly, the fact that they were handled even as well as they were is surprising given the books that we have read. Yeah. Like, I remember us coming down fairly hard on Beyond the Supernatural for having the autistic savant as a playable character in it. Yes. So, I, I this book is the sort of thing where, where having a mental breakdown gives you superpowers. Not really. I, I mean, mean, it's not a mental breakdown gives you superpowers. It's, it's, it's be, having an obsession. Yeah. The obsession, the obsession that you have leads you to learn mystic powers and also can lead you more towards being broken down. Yes. So it's, but yeah, it's a fine line. Now, do they cross the line from time to time in the making of the book? They absolutely do. Oh God, yes. I mean, there's, it's not, it can't be perfect, and I can't imagine that the third edition of this is perfect either. But it's better than I, I had faith that it, or that I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that one of the main things with this, I mean, I would also say, as a sort of boilerplate sort of thing on this, what you could describe it as is a call of cthulhu but without any mythos garbage attached to it which is just a, a step in the right direction as far as i'm concerned yeah it's occultism and horror and weird unknowable nonsense and you know power always has its price but with this one you don't have to worry about like uh, it's Migos again all right oh boy hoster or whatever yeah with, i don't even know but with this uh and in so many other horror games, mm -hmm. not just Call of Cthulhu, but a lot of horror-themed ones, you have, uh, like, uh, like it's insanity in Call of Cthulhu, and here you've got, like, six different stress things that you can test. Yes. But a lot of them have to do with, if you see something ridiculous something. outside of what you can comprehend, mm -hmm. then it could push you towards insanity. Now, in this case, a lot of those stress tracks that... Because this game has, like, six of them. They're violence and the self and uh, isolation. And helplessness. Take it away, John. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's violence, helplessness, the unnatural mm -hmm. isolation, the self, and something. Ringo. And Ringo. Yeah. Uh, Ringo, but, Ringo will break your mind if you if you're <laughs> if you ever encounter Ringo, you, ooh, you're gonna snap. Overexposure is bad, <laughs> but the whole thing is it's not just like in Call of Cthulhu where say the only time you have the chance to get all fucked up is by seeing some weird mythos thing. Yeah, it's if you torture someone. That's going to damage you, like, mentally. Yeah. Like, that's not a thing you can just do and not have a problem with. And it isolates things. It says things like just being shot at is enough to have you test against your violence stat. Uh, because most people don't regularly get shot at. Yeah, that's not a thing you normally have happen to you. Yeah. So this game has a lot of factors by which one could have a mental breakdown, essentially. Mm -hmm. And that is a part of the game but i do like that there's a large section in the book that is very much like hey mental health isn't a joke never play someone getting like notches in their uh track for any of these various stressors for laughs don't ever be like oh i failed all of my isolation tests and now i'm so needy and i just glom on everyone and i start humping them i'm like the the fact that they're like don't play mental illness for yucks mm -hmm. i was like 
thank you. There's a lot of of uh, careful control to stop people from using it for laughs. Notably, they mentioned a lot of different types of mental illness and then say, by the way, don't use the following two types of mental illness, which I believe are schizophrenia and... Uh, multiple personality. Yeah, multiple personality, because they're like... These are just too not well understood. They're, and, they're, and also, they're the not the type of thing that you like. You don't usually have multiple personality from like, oh, I'm 30 and someone shot at me, and now all of a sudden I've got another personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, they're, they're things that they're a result from being broken in childhood. Or you know, with schizophrenia, there's a very heavy genetic component to it as well. Yes. Yeah. So he was like, this isn't something that's just like, I felt bad one day and now I have schizophrenia. Please. Just don't do that type of shit. I can't come into work today. I'm feeling a little schizophrenic. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. I've got that 24-hour schizophrenia. Yeah, you know how you know how that is. That's going around. It's a lot of schizophrenia and butt stuff. So you don't you really you don't want me in there. That's all I do on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Lots of schizophrenia and butt stuff. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, but occasionally, mostly either in in uh, ritual descriptions or just there's multiple large sections of the book called things you hear. Which are just like one sentence, kind of glib little, you know, oh, the, the kind of things that the question says, like in Justice League. Uh, yeah, it's be, just occult whisperings yeah. and conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Well, one of them is a bunch of stuff, like this is the one, the one that stuck out to me the most, is a bunch of stuff about how uh, demons are caused by heterosexual sex, angels are caused by, by homosexual sex, but they don't call them that. They call them heterosex and homosex, as if those are words. Uh, <laughs> And then monosex creates selfish ghosts that do try to fight demons sometimes, but are mostly just selfish. Uh, yep. Every time I jerk off, I create a selfish little ghost. Yeah, that's pretty much what And they're... then I put it into a napkin and I throw <laughs> it away. Uh, I always do it into a balloon. <laughs> it hurts like hell, but let me tell you. Boy, howdy. Clean up. Ooh. Clean up is great. No, but like... Uh, you know, heterosex causes demons, and but hetero, but demons have stopped people from having homosex. There's more demons, and that's why there's not that much homosex anymore. Uh, and it was, you know, it, it's just this weird little saying. But it ends with the sentence, "And remember, beware the treacherous bisexual." <laughs> Where I was like, "Hey, come on now, hey, man. I'm being <laughs> accurate, but hey, <laughs> no, no, it, <laughs> no, it isn't." If there's one thing I know about bisexuals, being that I know a lot of bisexuals, I mean, you spend a lot of time with one. Yes, I mean, I spend a lot of time with like lots of them. lots of them. Yes, like everyone I know yeah. is bisexual. <laughs> What's wrong with you, man? Try- I don't know. It's weird. I don't know how I got to the point where everyone I hang out with is, bu- is bi. Just try some Wang, dude. <laughs> Just try some Wang Chung. Yeah, everybody Wang Chungs these days. <laughs> everyone Wangs Chung tonight. <laughs> so. But anyway, yeah, that was uh, it, just as an individual sentence. I was like, I know that's part of like a monster rumor or something, but come on, <laughs> beware the treacherous bisexual. That's the kind of shit an angry person wears on a shirt. <laughs> nah, that's also the kind of thing that like angry by Twitter bot says. That's that's definitely yeah. You get a lot of that. It's definitely the headline of a Jezebel article. <laughs> uh. Beware the frumious bandersnatch and the treacherous bisexual. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, what do you play as in this game? Well, there are two... Pri- you play as humans, but there are two primary sources of power. Two uh, ways to accumulate character energy and become a PC. Well, I mean... One of them is to J.O. in the woods and charge your crystals. Get your crystals up. Yeah. I was going to say, honestly... I would probably divide it into the three categories that the book divides it into. Oh, yeah, that's fair, because there's also, like, thaumaturges or whatever. Well, there's... I was going to say the thing that divides it up is whether you're playing a street-level campaign... Or cosmic. 
Oh, I'm sorry. No. Street level campaign. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because there's three. There's the yeah. street level campaign. There's the like occult underground level, mm-hmm. and then there's a cosmic level. Yeah. So there are three power levels that you can play as, uh, which also do bear uh, discussion and, and definition. Street- well, it, it depends on how many points you're going to get for your stats, how mm-hmm. many points you get for skills, and sort of what the type of game you will be running mm-hmm. at a street level. You honestly might not have any occult power at all. You could very well just be like, what are you? This is like your standard Call of Cthulhu team where it's like, what are you? I'm a reporter. This is my friend, a private detective, and I'm a doctor, and we've just discovered a rumor of nonsense going on, and you're like dipping your toe into the occult. Yeah, yeah. And that you can do with street level pretty easily. The Mm. street level is going to be... Much more, we've heard some rumors, maybe you've had a run-in with something weird, uh, but for the most part, you're not, like, running around casting spells or really knowing what's going on yeah. fully. No, it's a level where, at a, at a fundamental level, you are still afraid of some ghosts. Yeah. Now, at the next level, yeah, I would say you're not afraid of no ghosts. Yeah, you're not, you're, you're, you maintain a healthy fear of some ghosts. But you're not afraid of no ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas some people are afraid of no ghosts. Mm-hmm. If there's no ghosts around, they're scared. Yeah, exactly. They, they, you have an isolation-y fear that there might not be any ghosts in the neighborhood. I feel like that's the cosmic level, and, is and, that you are afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> yeah, because something's wrong. You're like, oh, <laughs> shit, there's no ghosts. That means demons are about, the, or a treacherous bisexual. <laughs> ghost <laughs> background level is too low. Let's find a bisexual and blame them. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I think in the cosmic level, you finally gain the ability to ice skate uphill. Like some kind of motherfucker. <laughs> like some motherfuckers are always trying to do. Yeah, which is what you, you do it. You can do it. That's the difference between you and the people below you. Uh, but then when you get to the sort of occult underground level, that's probably... Where most people are going to play? Yeah, that's yeah. probably because you get the point where people can start doing magic or they can start following one of the paths of an avatar they can have weird powers they can do nonsense and you know enough about the occult to be dangerous yes yeah to yourself and others indeed mm. i mean depending on what you're playing maybe more to yourself than others mostly yeah uh, at the cosmic level you are kind of reshaping the mystical paradigms of the world like you and your group are yeah, like, you're there, like, you can be mystic enforcers to make sure that, like, the underground stays underground. Mm-hmm. You could be trying to make sure that, like, someone trying to ascend to godhood does or does not make it. Yeah. Like, that kind of stuff. Yeah, your, your party, because they give you a bunch of examples of what your party might be doing at, at each level. And at Cosmic, they're so deep into the meta plot of the game that they're hard to explain right now. There'll be things like, you worship the aquatic ape women who are trying to pull down the naked goddess and replace her with a woman born of women. Uh, Great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's that's actually one of the examples in there. Yeah. Uh, but so there are three levels of power that you get, and those control how much uh, to start with, how many points you get to put on each of your four stats in the game. Yeah, you've got mind, body, speed, and soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they each all... of those are uh, up to ninety nine. It's a percentile based game, mm-hmm. so uh, it's percentile roll under. And your stats are going to determine several things, really. Yes. Uh, if Anytime you would be rolling for just a stat, obviously you'll roll for that. Yeah. 
Uh, but in addition, when you go to make skills, whatever your points in a stat are, let's say I've got 50 points in body. Yeah. That means when I'm going to the skill section, I get 50 points for body skills. Yes. Uh, in addition to that, any skills in a category can never be higher than your stat. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so a human average for a stat is 50. Uh, and even at the street level of character creation, like if you're making the most basic of street hobo, uh, you start with 220 points to spend. So you are slightly above average. Yeah, no matter what, even as a low level, you're going to have a decent amount of points. Yeah, you start, and, and it actually doesn't expand as much as you think it would. Uh, the point breaks for uh, the point breaks are a series of movies, <laughs> or actually a movie and a remake. Uh, no, but okay. The point breaks that you get are for street level. It's two hundred and twenty, and then it goes up by twenty more points per each one of the ranks. Yeah. So you only have two hundred and sixty to spend if you're cosmic level. Uh, so, and, and then like like John was saying, you spend those on skills. Uh, there are a number of gimme skills that each one of the the uh, abilities in the game is associated with. Uh, for example, uh, strength is or, or uh, let's say. Well, it's just skills you get for free. You yeah. automatically start At, with fifteen percent. Fifteen percent in driving. Uh, I think general athletics. Yeah, struggle, which is just fighting in general. Yeah, just your, like, hand-to-hand combat. Senses is one of them. It's like for detecting occult things and so on. Uh, So you start with a number of those at 15%. Now, there's a sidebar there that explains that most skills in this game are going to be at a really low percentage. Now, the reason it starts you at 15% is also important because for this game, you only roll for things when you are under stress or there's some sort of factor to it. If, That's the specific sidebar I was referring to. Yeah, well, there's two different sidebars for why they have it. The other one is the one that says, hey, why is it like this way in the earlier oh, edition? That's fair, yeah, okay. But in a like normal setting where you're just like, I don't have a time limit, really. I'm just sort of doing whatever in a laboratory setting. If you have at least 15% in a skill, you don't need to roll. You just do it. Yes. So as long as you are at least 15% or more in a skill, they're like, you're competent. Yeah. You don't need to worry about whether or not you accomplish this. You will. Mm-hmm. So now the, the, the sidebar mentions that it, it's like, why are skill percentages so low? And it's like, well, unlike other games, in this game, you only have to roll skills when you're under duress or stress. You only roll skills when it literally matters. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, okay." That maybe when this game was written, that was true. But that's that's pretty much the baseline for most RPGs nowadays: <laughs> is don't make them roll if it doesn't fucking matter. Move along. And it, uh, to me, I, I'm still a little concerned about that because that kind of fails on the mouthfeel of rolling for skills. It's got a bad. Uh, it doesn't have good legs when you swirl it around in the glass. No <laughs> one likes to roll a twenty percent chance of something. It, it doesn't feel good. No, the the book has. Uh, Two other steps as well. Mm-hmm. If you are only slightly constrained, like it's not that bullets are flying around you, but you know there's some sort of pressure on. Mm-hmm. Uh, then when you roll, you can uh, count your stat as basically an extra cushion. So if I've got twenty percent in something and I roll a forty, but I've got a fifty in the stat. It'll count it as a partial success anyway. Yes, and that that does help. Uh, the only time when it's, no, you literally have to roll under your skill is when it is like combat situation or 
you know, something's charging at you right now and you've got to do it immediately. Yeah. Now, the, there's a couple of interesting things here. First of all, all of those gimme skills can be renamed to whatever you want to fit your character better. Yeah, there so, is no skill list in this game. Yeah. All skills are just made up by the player. Yeah, so you can rename those gim- the, the gimme skills to whatever the fuck you want, and that's fine. And for every other skill that you build for yourself using skill points, you just name it after whatever you want. And as long as the DM or so the GM agrees to that, that's the skill you have now. Yeah. So you know they have a couple examples in there where like if you want to say that your struggle skill is like throwing elbows or something, you can do that. It's fine. Yeah, that doesn't matter. You just you call it fight like hell, and it's fine. It doesn't change anything. Yeah. And you know if you want to have a skill that's very plain that you just want to go like I have botany. You're like, okay, great, good Mm -hmm. job, you did it. But you could have, like, microscope jockey as a skill, and then it would work for, like, oh, yeah, I'm a science guy, and this is my science skill. Yeah. You could call yourself Bill Nye the science skill. That's <laughs> one of the skills you have written down. Yeah. And anytime you need to, like, I guess, argue with young Earth creationists for internet points, you can do that, and you and you do real good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, or rock bow tie. That's another thing that you get from that skill. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, Might as well get that one instead of Young Sheldon. That's a terrible <laughs> skill. <laughs> I got the Young Sheldon skill. Ooh. Oh, oh man. Ooh, you don't want to see that. You should have written that down as take a punch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the game having that is, you know, I mean, it's, it's much more of a modern sensibility mm-hmm. for the RPG. And I, I mean, I think the second edition came out in like 2010, so it's not like this is old. Mm-hmm. Uh... So, you know, it doesn't really get a ton of good job points for making that, but it is a thing that I sort of like, especially if you're looking at a game like this where you have a very limited uh, at character creation number of skill points. Yes. And if your like GM allows it, you could have very broad skills. Like if like I said, if I had microscope jockey as a skill, then I could just say, okay, anything that has to do with science, mm-hmm. let me just roll that. Yeah. And then I could throw, like, 45, 50 points into it and go, great, cool. And the book's not especially concerned about it. This is the, this kind of build-your-own-skill list usually comes with a sidebar that's like, make sure those skills people create are super narrow GMs. Oh, yeah, make sure nobody just says all fighting so that they have firearms and melee and unarmed and everything all in one mm-hmm. make sure that they break it down into sword yeah. and dagger yeah i mean there there's some fairness to that like if you're trying to come up with a skill and you've named it i'm a hollywood stuntman and helicopter pilot for <laughs> yeah then, then you know that might need some correction well but. i have this skill called batman <laughs> <laughs> and i batman at things yeah whenever a batman related role would come up oh yeah whenever i need to know trivia about batman yeah that's, that's what, what it is and that is also a thing with the skills in here is not only is it if I have, say, the skill in, let's say, boxing, mm-hmm. uh, then in addition to that, that also covers any trivia about the skill. Yeah. I feel so like- if I needed to know about trivia about boxing or famous boxers or contacting a boxer, mm-hmm. then it would all fall under that skill. Yeah. I'm sure you would also use it for knowing a boxer in your previous life. Like, oh, let me roll my, my boxing skill to see if I met a boxer previously that I, that's already a contact for me. Yeah, that's what I was saying, yeah, is yeah. to contact a boxer is part of that as oh, well. okay. For, well, I'm considering having a boxer contact versus just contact a boxer, <laughs> where I'm sure that second one could probably be done with, like, the proper 1-900 number. <laughs> 
That's right. 1-900-BOXER-SHORTS. <laughs> yeah. You call them up, and for two minutes, $2 a minute, you can talk to a boxer. A real a, a boxer. A real boxer. And when I say that, I do mean the dog. The dog, yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you can talk to a Porsche Boxster. Good. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's get into... Okay, that's stats and skills. We're good there. Uh, oh, the... Uh, the break for skill points you get as well is very interesting was, because yeah. at street level you get, like I said, your stats in skills, and then you get another 70. Mm-hmm. But then if you go up from there to like the occult underground level, mm-hmm. it goes to like 160 points. Yeah. And then cosmic is like 200 something. So you're less like stat points mm-hmm. and much more skill points is the main difference between a starting like street level and a starting cosmic level that and there's uh, there's some chunks that you get in addition when you go up like a cosmic team gets a bunch of known rituals and they're all really good at tilting already and they're out they all they know how to proxy everyone in the group knows how to do the proxy rituals so there are some benefits that that are assigned out at the uh team level like the party level yeah when you go up from each rank to the next so so we got to talk about the things that happen when you roll dice, like because uh, there's a couple different secondary mechanics relating to doubles and to flip flopping. Oh yeah, and that also integrates with the other part of this game, which every character, regardless of what you're doing, has an obsession. Mm-hmm. Uh, the obsession could be something as simple as get money. Yeah, or it could be as complex. As, like, I need to specifically prove that, like, JFK was abducted by aliens and replaced by a clone and only Lee Harvey Oswald knew it. And, like, that could be an obsession Mm -hmm. or it could be an obsession of, like, get my dick wet. Yeah, which, boy, does that ever come up a lot? Uh, (laughs) uh, So... So, yeah, obsession skill. You pick your obsession skill at the start of the game. Now, there are two ways to do this. If you're going to be playing as an avatar... Or an adept. <laughs> well, no, I know. But if you're going to be playing as an avatar, then you can pick whatever the fuck you want as your, your obsession yeah. skill. Uh, because avatars aren't directly powered by their obsession. Adepts, which are kind of the the, the mancers, the, the, the thing that when, when you have invariably come across an endless discussion about this game on a po- in a, a message board somewhere, they're always talking about the mancers. No one gives a fuck about avatars. No. Avatars are dumb and bad, mm. and I mean that's not true. They're but, fine. It's just that it's just that they don't lend themselves to to nonstop j- jibber jabber. No, like the like the uh, mancers do. And uh, the mancers, your obsession skill has to be your adept skill. Yes. Uh, if you are an adept, you automatically have the skill adept colon and whatever type of adept you are. Yeah. So you could have like adept colon persona mancer. I have an adept colon. Thank you for thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's a persona mancer. Is my colon, <laughs> and no matter what, that has to be your obsession skill. Yes. Now the obsession skill is good because it lets you do something called flip flop, which is when you roll for a skill, you can if it's your obsession skill switch the tens and the ones place. So if I rolled a 91 and failed super hard, but it's my obsession skill, I could flip that to a 19. Yes. Which really changes the percentages. Uh, it changes your statistics dramatically. Uh, enough that the book actually includes a little chart. Yeah, there's show. a there's a little bar that's like, if your obsession skill as at what percent, 
then this is the effective percent of success that you could see. Yeah, I was kind of glad to see that math having been done. That was nice to, that was nice oh, to yeah. see. And it also means that there is sort of a diminishing return at certain levels. Because mm-hmm. they're like, if you're high enough into a skill, flip-flopping isn't really going to be as important as it is when you're lower in it. That's true. Like, once you get above 50%, it stops being as amazing. Yeah, you get a diminishing return. Uh, okay, so that's that's flip-flopping. And then there are also uh, doubles have specific effects when rolled in this game. Yeah, so... Instead of, like most games, being like, oh, you rolled a 1 or a 20 or whatever as your, like, crit failure or crit success, in this, it is doubles. Because the flip-flop system exists, Mm -hmm. anytime you roll doubles, it means you can't mess with the roll. Yeah. So if you roll doubles and succeed, it's considered a very good success. If you roll doubles and fail, then it is a bad failure. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, now they've got names for it where it's like cherries for getting the yeah, cherries, double success. Yeah. Cherries, cer- cherries and sour cherries. Yeah. Uh, cherries are the benefits that you, the, and there's, depending on what you roll, there's, there's usually a list of cherries that you can choose, uh, and, and a list of sour cherries that the GM can choose from if you happen to fail. Yeah. Uh, I don't like that name, John. I'm going to, no, I'm, I'm going to be know, honest. I'm fine with saying that's not a good name. It's not a. It's not a great cho- choice. A cho- it just doesn't feel like it belongs in here. It's got nothing to do with everything else in here. No, but it yeah, does there's, not. There's cherries. Uh, <clears throat> so that's sort of your main uh, rolling mechanic. Now, if you roll a zero one or a double zero, that is automatically a success or a failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the double zero, of course being the worst you can get because it is not only a failure but it is also a double it's yeah it's a guaranteed sour cherry yeah so it is the worst yeah all right so that pretty much covers how you play this uh now we're gonna get to the part that everyone actually gives a shit about the discussion of the various adepts and avatars and there are very very many of them so it may we may miss a few in our in our discussion as as goes on here well yeah i mean we don't have to do an in-depth on every single one of them no, it doesn't we, matter we can do our best to mention them uh they start the, they start with the adepts and the adepts are broken down by well we'll just do one and, and we'll discuss the things that it's broken down by the first one in the book is the bibliomancer yeah now adepts all of them like we said have an obsession with whatever their thing is, mm-hmm. and it's that obsession that gives them power. Yes. Uh, the book also makes it a point to say that a lot of it is a gaining power from sort of the paradox of whatever they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, the bibliophile gains power from owning books, and it sort of starts out that probably you really liked to read and had a lot of books, but at some point, the books themselves became more important than actually reading books. That's correct. And so they aren't necessarily powered by knowledge from the books they own, but rather just from the value of the books they own. Yeah. And they, numbers. They care more about uh, how good of the book is it, how many good books do I have. Mm-hmm. The only time I will ever throw out a book is if I find one that's a better version of what I have. Yeah, and you'd think even then they probably wouldn't throw them out, right? They'd try and barter them for a different, better book. Well, no, you don't throw them out. You have to donate them. Yes. So the Bibliomancer is powered by books, uh, and it's done by a monetary system. Uh, And and the other thing that we never really explained here is rituals and charges. 
Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's what we're getting into, because charges only really matter for the adepts. Yes. So there are three kinds of charges, and each each adept is basically obsessed with with attaining charges. You obtain charges in various ways, depending on what type of uh, adept you are, uh, and usually it's very difficult to attain them, uh, and, and that's on purpose. Uh, seeking well, power is difficult. There's... Minor, significant, and major. And minor ones are usually very easy to get. Yes. With an adept, it's like you have to acquire a new book worth at least $500 or something uh, that, 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 you don't, that you don't previously own. You don't, well, even don't... then, it's just acquire X amount of books. Yes, you have to so acquire... So it doesn't even need to be like a $500 book. You're like, I bought $500 worth of books. Yes, you have to acquire a ton of books. Uh, it's, just, it's just a bunch of money. There are two classes where it's just a bunch of money, and the other one is just a bunch of money. Uh, the that's the what is that? The Plutomancer. Yeah, the Plutomancer is just straight up. If you can get someone to give you a thousand dollars, then you earn a charge. Uh, but okay, so the Biblioma- Bibliomancer is powered by acquiring rare books. Uh, their taboo is that they can never leave, get too far away from their library. Okay, no the the taboo is getting rid of books. Oh, is that it? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah uh, the um, the whole thing with a uh, Mancers is an adept has things that they care about, which is generally how you get your charges. Yes. And then things that go against what your entire, like, mindset is. Because it's not just performative. For the avatars later on, they get power, but they don't need to believe in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They, they're they just getting it off of being performative in some way. And they don't even need to be aware of what they're doing, to be honest. Yeah. The, 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 mancer, the, the avatars are basically embodiments, and they may not know they are. The adepts have whatever they do is their full lifestyle. Like, they are full-on broken and dedicated to whatever weird obsession they have. So... For, uh, say, a bibliomancer, uh, if you uh, just sort of give books away, then, okay, you've got a taboo. If you purposefully damage or destroy a book, so if you dog ear something mm-hmm. or you are reading it and you crack the spine, like, that's a taboo. And for any adept, if you break a taboo, you lose all of your charges immediately. Yes. Because normally you can store them up. So if I buy, uh, for a Bibliomancer, it's $100. Yes, okay. It's cheap. But, or relatively, as compared to the Plutomancer. But if I buy $100 worth of books, then I get a minor charge, and it just sits there. I could have, like, 100 minor charges. I was just thinking, John, that this might be the one that's me, because I have the wall of RPGs in here. I was, but then I remembered that they're valueless, because no one wants these. Well, no, I was going to say that... I very, very much considered my bonus character for this being you as a bibliomancer. <laughs> because of the role-playing game? Because of the role-playing game. But, but, they're, but they're not worth anything. Hey, man, they're worth something. To, to someone. <laughs> yeah, shit. I've got one of the role-playing games that's over $100 by itself. That's true, but that one's at your house. <laughs> I know, because I'm not going to let you have it, so you don't get a minor charge, you <laughs> oh, fucker. Trying to stop me from getting minor charges. All right, well, anyway, yeah, the Bibliomancer gets minor and major charges just by owning various denominations or acquiring uh, various amounts of books. Uh, the trouble with the charges for a Bibliomancer is he can only spend them if he's currently in his library, unless he has he charges those, those uh, charges he has into valuable books that he brings along with him. Yeah, so... You can 
Like if you're running around, be like, okay, I'm going to take a book, and the more valuable the book, the more it can hold. Yeah. And go, okay, I'm going to take this awesome, like, rare first edition book I have. I'm mm-hmm. going to throw some charges in there, and that way I can use my powers outside of the library. Yes. So you have to risk your books because you have to take them out into the world. And it's it's a very interesting thing for me, the Bibliomancer, because they have such an easy way to get charges mm-hmm. and hold them. But they risk taboo so much if they want to go out into the world to use it. But it's great because that reinforces the idea of, what are you? Oh, I'm someone who, like, obsessively just hangs out in their library and looks at their wall of books. Yeah. And in order to be a bibliomancer, you have to have a library. Yeah, you have to have a huge library. Or you're just not a bibliomancer. Yeah, they're not saying, like, you have to like have an entire room dedicated to it, but you basically have to have a ritualized space that is only for books in yes, your house. That is correct. Uh, so that's the Bibliomancer. They can cast spells on or the rituals. Honestly, the, the minor charge rituals that the Bibliomancer can do, I found fairly unimpressive. Uh, a lot of them are just things that a Bibliomancer would probably just do with skill rolls. Uh, so they're things like, remember stuff that's in one of the books you own. Well, yeah, but that means, uh, you know, our entire team is like oh no we ran across something and it's an ancient sanskrit and you're like cool i have a book on ancient sanskrit i don't have it memorized but boop use a charge now i do i guess that's fair although that does kind of require the the uh gm to be supporting your very specific weird skill set that you have a million and, and also for you to do you need to write down in advance that you're like oh by the way one of the books i have is on ancient sanskrit or just no you just definitely have one or, or, what i'm asking is do you have access to unlimited knowledge through that the minor charge or not what I'm asking is, is your GM an asshole or not? That's And I've made it clear on a variety of occasions that... You always assume the GM is an asshole for some reason? No, I assume that a game is bad if it forces that question to exist. <laughs> but not, that say that, not that I think that this game is bad. This game is actually really neat. But uh, I don't like seeing situations where that question is relevant. Well, the big thing for me is... You can dictate what you have to start with, and then mm-hmm. anytime you would get a charge, you say what you're buying. Yeah. So if you go like, what did you do? Oh, I bought an entire like shelf worth of books on various languages. Mm-hmm. Like I that's what I do. Coptic, damn you. Yeah. And you know, one of the things you can do as a bibliomancer is you're like, what do you do? Oh, I collect comic books. Yeah, although that would be a terrible thing to do, because that means you have access to the world of comic books for your knowledge spells. Oh yeah. But it's also like, I can get minor charges mm-hmm. from $100 worth of comic books, which is very easy to do. That's true. And takes up no space. That's true. I mean, if you're trying to be a economical on rent style bibliomancer, then comic books are the way to go. Although, that said, you'll never be able to cast a spell unless the question is something like, uh, what issue of Legion of Superheroes did Arms Fall Off Boy first appear in? And you're like, well. <laughs> Except, of course, if you're that kind of comic book nerd, you know that anyway. Now, the thing is... It doesn't actually, like, book learning is one of the ones for minor that lets you use your bibliomancer skill mm-hmm. in place of any other skill. It doesn't say you have to have a specific book. It's just, what do you do? Oh, I I can just sort of finagle my way into whatever. Yeah. It does this, and if you want to describe why it does that, you can do so. Yeah, that's okay. That's fairly written. Uh, so the other thing about Bibliomancer before we move on to the other ones, and it's just something that, again, is going to be kind of about all the mancers, 
is the examples kind of feel like they're overreaching because the example of the bibliomancer is like him escaping from a, a lab tech facility. And over the course of his very short one paragraph example, the dude blows eight significant charges on escaping. Yeah. A lot of the, uh, like examples of play in this really seem like this is probably a cosmic level campaign mm. because they are just like, what did you do? Oh, I blew a shitload of charges and just did nonsense. And you're like, how that's a lot of time you spent before going on that adventure like like for the this dude to have eight significant charges to spend and that's assuming he didn't do anything until he was trying to escape is like oh he had like four thousand dollars of recently purchased books and that this is one of the easier ones to get charges off of yeah but yeah all the examples are like and then i blew four significant charges on this guy and i'm like wait don't you earn significant charges by hoping you were the first person to visit a famous site today? Like, what are you just doing a driving tour of the American Southwest? What's how are you getting all of these? Think Be about your think about your stuff, book. Well, because you can hold on to them. If That's you're true. like, this dude's been a bibliomancer for 20 years mm -hmm. and he just now wanted to leave his library to do a thing. You're like, oh, yeah, that guy's got a fucking million charges. That makes it for a really weird role playing game, though. If you're like, all right, well, it's been 20 years. You guys can go on one adventure now. No, it's, you know, if you're in a cosmic level or if you're talking about, like, here's an NPC, then, yeah, sure, they're going to have a bunch of dumb nonsense. Fair enough. Okay, so, moving on. The next one. We don't need to go in nearly as much detail anymore. The next one, I think, John, is the Cleomancer. Cleomancer. Cleomancer gets powers from locations. Well, from history. From history. The they get their powers from history. Yeah. Uh, Any historically significant place pools magic energy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you can get minor charges out of a place that's sort of in the zeitgeist without it really having to be known. It's weird. It's it's like if you go to the house that Marilyn Monroe died in, a lot of people know that Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe famously died, but they don't know where. But that house but has a little bit of energy in it just because her death is in the zeitgeist. Yeah, so, you know, it's one of those things like if you went to the place where, say, Princess died uh, got in the car crash. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of people who know exactly where that is. It's some tunnel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. See? Yeah. People will know. Oh, yeah. She died and it was in a city somewhere on some, a street. Some famous British tunnel. So probably the channel. <laughs> no. Oh. It was in America. Oh. Oh, some, see, there you go. So probably the channel. <laughs> so you, you don't the, the, need the to, Ameri channel. Yeah. The Ameri channel. Uh huh. Now at Denny's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like a sex move old people would do. Wait, yeah, no, oh, I'm yeah, it does. I'm coming around to it. Fair and enough. So are the old people. <laughs> but all you need to do is have a place that is significant historically, but isn't like etched into people's memories as far as like, oh, the Washington Monument or whatever. Yeah. Where people automatically know it. Mm -hmm. And that's how you can get minor charges. You can just go to a place that's sort of important but not super important and yeah. get a minor charge or that, that people remember the event that happened there but maybe not where there is yeah um, as long as it was something significant enough that people would remember it you can go get charges there and you can get that once a day mm -hmm. so uh, minor charges are pretty easy for these guys as long as they live in a city where there's or, or place where there's a lot of relatively historic shit happened right around there yeah i mean it's one of those things where you're like, oh, yeah, you know, if you're in a large city, there's going to be a ton of not just like, 
of the significant charge places, which are, like I was saying before, things where people actually know it. Well, yeah, I actually really like the description they use for the level of historic significance for a significant charge, which is, if there's a joke about it, there's probably a significant charge there. Like, you know, Gettysburg is mm-hmm. going to be a place that's like, yeah, you can get a significant charge from there. But if you're talking about, like, the warehouse where the Valentine's Day massacre took place, not everyone's going to know where that is, so you probably just get a minor charge off of that. Where? The warehouse. Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, if you hang around Washington, D.C. and you want significant charges, it's easy. You just, well, it's sort of easy because here's the problem with significant charges. Other Cleomancers could get them first. Yeah, it's once a week for significant charges in order for a place to build up enough energy. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much just like the first ones to get there. I think it either holds one or maybe a like two. It depends on how significant it is. So it's, it could be either one. But like, so for example, the White House has two significant charges in it uh, and also two significant evil jerks. Uh, <laughs> um, but if you get there, but the problem is a lot of Cleomancers know about it. So the place is swarming with them trying to get those significant charges. Yeah. Major charges are either even worse. Major charges, which is the third level of superpower. Not even every kind of Mancer can get them, but Cleomancers can, and they are available once. Yeah. It's, you have to be the first Cleomancer to be at a significant site at all, ever. And you get it and that's it. So they mentioned things like, oh, you know, the first Cleomancer to get to Machu Picchu got one. And there's only one. They, they even only list one existing example of where one still is, the moon. Yeah. And I'm, I was honestly surprised that a book that came out in 2010 wasn't like, yeah, there was a Cleomancer in New York who was the first one to get the 9-11 charge and was just like, yeah, fuck you, bitches. <laughs> I'm glad they had that kind of restraint that you clearly do not. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, obviously, there was some Cleomancer there who was like, I'm going to go get my minor charge from uh, the tw- the Twin Towers because of the bombing that almost happened. Mm-hmm. That's in the zeitgeist. And he was just there at the right time, and then a plane hit, and he was like, motherfucker! Yeah, he got, he got a major charge off of that. And then he got all that dust in his face, and he went all stupid, and he's still completely stupid, and he never ticked up another good charge for anything for the rest of his life, and he's Rudy Giuliani. And that's Rudy Giuliani, everyone. That's the story of Rudy Giuliani and why he looks like an insane chipmunk who's just hearing what he just said for the first time. Well, yeah, because Cleomancer powers are uh, basically just fucking with uh, knowledge and history and what people think, so you can, like, start a rumor, and people will just sort of not remember where they heard it, but think they know about it. And a major charge is, like, you can rewrite history. Mm -hmm. So what Rudy Giuliani did was rewrite history so that he was the mayor of of New York at that time. Yeah. And then he's still just a crazy Cleomancer, though. So he he was like, aha, finally. And then now he's on TV and everyone's like, are you okay? And he's like, uh, magic. (laughs) Wait, did I just say that? Shit. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, if he is guilty, he's not guilty. Well, if he is guilty, he definitely did it. But he didn't because he did. (laughs) Oh, shit. Who's that old man on TV? We got to get him out of here. He's making us look terrible. Uh, John, who's next? So after the Kaleomancer, we get the... uh, What the hell is the name of that thing? The Dipsomancer. Oh, the Drunko. The Drunk one. Yeah, uh, so they get a minor charge from getting drunk enough that it matters. So having a, like a sip of wine doesn't do anything, but being enough to move you up an impairment step does. Basically, the 
have a shot, have a glass of wine, or have a like pint of beer. Yeah, one whiskey, uh, one shot, or one beer. Would give you three charges. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then a significant charge, and this is my least favorite way of getting a significant charge. Actually, second least uh, way of getting a, a significant charge in the game, which is if you own a historically significant vessel uh, which for drinking. So it has to be something like... Uh, like, if you have Winston Churchill's wine glass or something, then if you drink out of that, it gives you a significant charge. Yeah, and it doesn't actually even have to do anything with being drunk. Like, the main Dipsomancer that is in this book is, like, one of the main uh, NPCs. Mm -hmm. uh, has a mug that Nixon drank out of when he was ordering Watergate. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, oh, because Nixon was a known drunk. It was just, no, it's a historically significant cup. Yeah. I'm like, that's a weird thing. It doesn't feel like it has anything to do with the whole, there's power in alcohol. Yeah, because the whole thing with their, uh, like, Mansi is essentially like, oh, when I get drunk, I can see clearer. Yeah. And so it's that's the paradox of the Dipsomancer. But I agree with Jeff that... The idea that you get power from a significant cup seems very weird. It also isn't balanced right, because there's no rule that stops you from the moment you get your hands on a good cup. If you're like, I've got Lyndon Bain Johnson's athletic cup, and I drink shots out of it, whatever. Uh, the, moment you get, the moment you get it, there's nothing stopping you from just taking every alcohol you have and pouring it in there and drinking it out of it. Well, yeah. it's The Dipsomancer is... You're not allowed to, it says, start with one of these cups. Yeah. But once you get one, why would you ever drink out of anything else? I guess because eventually you'll need minor charges for something. Because if you want to use a minor charge for something. Yeah. It's but, just, it's easy street once you get one, and that's kind of a problem. But the big thing with them is, we didn't mention the taboo. The Cleomancer one is just, your shit goes away after a month. Yes. Yeah, because you have uh, to keep moving. Because it's history. Yeah. You see, so after enough time, it just goes away. Mm -hmm. But... The Dipsomancer is your taboo is being sober. Yeah, so, so the second you sober up, you don't have any charges. So yeah. the fact that, yeah, you've got access to significant charges whenever you want it is nice. But it also means if you're like, fuck you, I got nine significant charges. You're like, great. You are like a 10% chance to not pass out right now, though. The problem with the Dipsomancer, because you're right. That it, once they sober up, they lose their significant charges. Is that they don't care about sobering up and losing their significant charges because of how free and easy they are to get back. Yeah, it's and they. I would also say though that the Dipsomancer powers aren't exactly like world shakingly amazing. That's true. They're not. They're not spectacular. Because Cleomancer, you can do a lot of fucked up weird stuff with that. Like you could just with a significant like charge or three, just screw someone's life up. Yeah. But a Dipsomancer is much more like, oh, I I can just sort of make things go my way. I can get out of scrapes and make it so I don't get hurt. And I can blast people with weird power that most people have a blast. Yeah, the first two that we've mentioned did not. Uh, the, the Bibliomancer can steal other people's blasts. But uh, the Cleomancer just doesn't have any. Yeah. The, uh, but the, the uh, Dipsomancer does. And it's random shit flings itself in your way. Yeah, they also have another attack that is they can drink your soul, which is very weird. Man, that makes two classes, uh, two mancers that can drink souls. <laughs> yeah, man. It's soul sipping. Yep. So, uh, yeah, Dipsomancers have the kind of drunk powers you would probably expect, basically. Yeah. Uh, their and their, their major is if you have a alcohol that has not been 
had like it's before be, or it's something be, like you have to get ridiculously a weird, rare yeah weird mega rare alcohol their examples are like one of the chateau petra petrus or equems or whatever one of those ultra the, rare wines the last of the uh wine from the cask of amontillado yeah which they're like yes it exists duh the problem with that kind of, like, you need to obtain this ultra-historical drink is that in a world where they're even more valuable than they are now, you can pretty much assume that there's no major charges left for these guys. Yeah. Unless you're constantly redefining new ultra-rare Hey, well, alcohols. the first person to drink the goo from that mummy sarcophagus, ooh, that dipsomancer got a major charge. But that was an alcohol. It was poop water. Yeah, but it was <laughs> a weird drink. <laughs> no one else got it. it Forbidden was, fruit It was punch. septic leakage. I mean, it was not a good drink. <laughs> but it's worth a major charge. <laughs> I mean, at best, it probably tasted like Jepson's Malort. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there are a lot of Mansers. Yeah, we just go through the ones that you kind of want to talk about. How about that? Well, I'm going to do the one I super want to talk about. Mm, let me see if I can Which guess is my it. favorite one. Is this the Entropomancer? No. Okay, good. The Videomancer. Oh, the Videomancer is kind of fun. I want to talk about the one I hate the most, which is the Pornomancer. So we've got two. So by all means, why don't you start? Okay, so the Videomancer is very interesting in that the way that they gain charges is you pick a show that you are obsessed with, mm -hmm. and in order, in order to get sh uh, charges, mm -hmm. you have to watch that show when it airs. Oh, okay, so not Night Court. No. You can't be obsessed with a show that's off air. No. Okay. I mean, I knew uh, that already. I'm just, I'm just joking along. Yeah, but I mean, if it were... On air. Like, if some station was airing it, then you could choose that as your show. Yeah, which is interesting. It, it creates an interesting dichotomy of because the taboo is missing your show. Yeah. Uh, which means if you were to pick something like Days of Our Lives, which is on every day at 11, you know, uh, you, you can get a charge every day from it, but it really fucks your schedule for doing anything other than watching Days of Our Lives. Well, yeah, one of the ones that they mentioned is the minor charge is just a rerun or a taping even. Yeah. Of it. You can get like, oh, you know, my uh, obsession is, let's say, like Seinfeld, and I can get minor charges from Seinfeld reruns. Okay. Well, then you can still, you can always, if you, now, as long as you only want minor charges. Yeah. <laughs> now, the significant charge is seeing a new episode mm -hmm. of whatever it is. So they mention a lot of ones are obsessed with the nightly news. Mm -hmm. So they'll be like, oh, yeah, I watch the nightly news. And because it's a new episode every night, I get a significant charge every night. However, I cannot leave my house during the nightly news ever. Yeah. And you have to watch commercials. You have to sit there through the whole thing. Like, you can't just TiVo a motherfucker. And that's why it's so interesting to me is it feels very much of its time mm -hmm. because... Uh, a lot of it was like, oh, it's this power of, especially for significant charges, of like a shared communion in watching something mm -hmm. is why it's worth points. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, so it's, you know. Otherwise, this is a variant on the Bibliomancer. You're I'm, just collecting the tapes. Because you could do something where it's like, oh, I'm obsessed with Game of Thrones. This is one of the only shows that exists right now where actually people getting together and watching it is a thing that happens. Yes. Or like... Back when it was on Breaking Bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's so the water cooler shows. It's those shows that have that uh, that cultural resonance. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the idea behind it. But nowadays with uh, like streaming services, TiVo, things like that, you go, okay, 
like is there a new type of adept that's like oh i'm like a videomancer but i have to binge a show in order to get a charge that's interesting like a bingeomancer see i was thinking what, what it would be nowadays and it'd be like oh you're a 12 year old mancer who watches pewdiepie <laughs> like you're a tubomancer yeah you're a tubomancer you have to watch your favorite streamer yeah, you can watch old streams, mm-hmm. and you get a significant charge every time you yeah. watch a new one. That's right. Or you can get a major charge in the Videomancer as if you're ever on your TV show. Yeah, or you get if, if, for a Tubomancer, you get a major charge if that, that YouTube person somehow gets a contract on Nickelodeon and makes a fucking shitty show there. No, you get a major charge if you're the first one to put first on their video. Oh, <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> The Tubomancer, man. We just made, we just invented one. So the reason I love the Videomancer as well mm-hmm. is their powers are so thematically fun. Yeah, they are. You get things like very special episode mm-hmm. where you cause people to just open up to you about their problems and be like emotionally vulnerable. And it lasts for a while, but it's just people will come up and be like, I didn't realize that I've had an obsession with drinking and I... I'm sorry, it's ruined my life. And you're like, it doesn't have to be anyone you know. Yeah. It'd just be like some random person decides to open up to you. Yeah, you can amp the color of the world to 11, basically. You can be like, oh, everyone is treating this like a special episode. Everyone's pouring their heart out and having serious conversations. I mean, that's got to be what happened in that Saved by the Bell episode where she was addicted to caffeine. Oh, yeah. Where she was like, I'm addicted to caffeine. And everyone in the show wasn't just like, who gives a fuck? Everyone's addicted to caffeine. They're like, no, this is a special episode. Yeah. So obviously everyone has to react to it. Yeah. And in the same way, it's got, like, sitcom of one of its powers where no one can get really hurt. So if you're in combat and you turn on your power, you're like, oh, people will get shot, but it'll be, like, a grazing shot or... Through the shoulder and out the other side. Yeah, people can't really be damaged in a lethal way. You can get damaged the same way you would on primetime TV. Yeah. And so I was like... That's great. I love the flavor of these. Mm -hmm. And they have powers that are like, what can you do? Oh, also, I can, like, with a, I don't even know if it's a major charge, but they're like, what do you do? Oh, with five significant charges, I trap you in a TV. Yes. Like, oh, here we go. Fuck you, and you're in that TV. You aren't allowed out. Yeah. Uh, So the one I wanted to talk about is one of the ones I thought was the worst. Okay. Uh, It's all right. It's just I didn't really like the, so the the Pornomancer is so metaplot specific. Yes. Which is, I thought it was going to be about, you know, obsessing over some particular porn actor, and it is. It is. But you don't get to pick which one. No. It turns out that at some point in Seattle, someone was making some porno, and this woman was sleeping with two jocks, it says. Uh, And then all of a sudden, in the middle of going going to town on these two jocks, she turns into light and ascends into godhood, and she becomes the naked goddess. Yeah. So, I mean, that will sort of bring us over to avatars as well. Sure. But Uh, there's... The whole point of it is an ascension got caught on video, mm-hmm. and so people seeing it just sort of lose their mind and get obsessed with it. And they become obsessed with tracking down all the details about her life before her ascension. Uh, you get a minor charge from watching the porno. Well, it's ritualistically reenacting something. Yeah, well, major charges are, oh, you're right. It's ritualistically reenacting the porno even by yourself. Yeah. You're um, like, I'm going to do a scene from one of her works, mm-hmm. and it doesn't even have to be the main tape. It can just be one of the things that this actress did. Yeah. A significant charge is you and a group of others have to reenact the actual porn, uh, a significant, like, eight-hour chunk uh, of work on reenacting a scene from the the actual uh, Ascended Goddess porno tape. 
So you have to like get a group together and cameras and everything and make the porn, and that'll get you a significant charge. Now, the problem I have with that is that reenacting that stuff doesn't, there's no explanation for why these people are obsessed with that aspect of the porno tape and why reenacting it is what gives them power. It just is. Uh, you get you, the powers you get from being a pornomancer are generically sex powers. I mean, it's it's mostly social powers. Yeah, it's like uh, you think I'm hot, mm-hmm. or you like trust me, or you want to fuck me, or whatever yeah. it is. Now, the the blast for it is it hurts a lot, but it doesn't leave any significant damage. So if you manage to kill someone with a blast from it, uh, <clears throat> then. Then a doctor will be like, I don't know, I guess heart failure. There's no signs of any damage. Which, by the way, we didn't talk about this. There are two types of damage in this game. Hand-to-hand weapons, what you do is you roll your, your roll to hit, and whatever your roll to hit is, you take the two numbers that are on the two die faces, add them together, and that's how much damage you do. Yeah, so if I roll a 37, I do 10 damage because 3 and 7 is 10. If you're shooting at someone with a gun and you roll a 37 to hit, you do 37 damage. Yeah. So those are the two types of damage. Now, there are two types of blasts as well. A minor blast does punch damage, and a a significant blast does firearm damage. Yep. The Pornomancer has only a significant uh, blast that does minor blast damage. Uh, it's useful because they can't. No one can tell what the hell happened to them, but it it takes significant charges to do. That becomes significant blast damage if you're fucking them when you do it to them. Yeah, that was kind of like, come on, who gives a shit? What are you doing here? Yeah, it, I just I, I thought it wasn't especially well handled. It's not the worst thing I've come across, but then again, this is what episode 143. Of course, I'm going to have seen worse stuff. Yeah, and uh, the. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how I feel about it because of the fact that it's so meta plot heavy. Exactly. Like I I like the idea that it's it's not an obsession with sex. It's an obsession with basically a god. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't like, oh yeah, I get charges because I fuck real good. It's oh no, I'm doing a very rote like by the numbers reenaction of what this is, this is about as sexy as buttering toast. Well, it's about as sexy as having doing a porn shoot. I was about to say, it's yeah. about as sexy as a normal porn. Yeah, or doing a porn shoot for, you know, your 10th porn shoot today and your th- 300th this month. Yeah, and I actually really like that it went that way rather than having it be like, what do you get? Well, I get powers off of fuck. I mean, technically you do get powers off of fucking. Because to get your significant charge, you have to reenact the porno. Well, yeah, but I'm saying it's not like, oh, I go out and my my dick game's so good I get a significant charge. Like, you only really get significant charges by essentially being in a cult. Yes, and that's another problem with the class. Uh, they meant, when they're saying how many significant charges and minor charges can this character be expected to get, it's like, oh, almost none, unless they're a mem- they're a group in a group with a whole bunch of more pornomancers. Yeah, if you're like, what are you? Oh, I'm in a cult. Of the naked goddess, yeah, I get a shitload of significant charges because I just take place in our significant charge rituals. Which makes it really hard to make a player character one of these. There, That is one of my main complaints about several things in this game. Uh-huh. Uh, especially when we get to the avatars, which we may as well do right now. Well, I got one. While we're saying on the same topic exclusively, uh, the other one of the mancers that's so hard to play is the Entropomancer. Uh, uh, Who's yeah. just who just has to throw themselves in front of trains and shit to get power? It's it's the chaos mage who's like, "What are you doing?" Oh, I get charges by gambling. Yeah, and but it's gambling with your life mostly. Well, that's significant or yeah. higher. 
like minor charges can be like, ooh, I lost, you know, or I gambled, say, $1,000. Yeah. You're like, okay. <laughs> but to get a major charge, you got to put your own and 10 other people's lives in real danger. Yeah. No cheating. You basically got a trolley re- problem some shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's hard to make that into a playable character. Yes. So anyway, same thing with the Pornomancer, and yes, same thing with the Avatars. So the Avatars, unlike the Adepts, are a path to power, but it is the emulation of an ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain like Jungian archetypes, basically, that exist in the mind of reality. Mm-hmm. So things like the fool or the mother or the traveler or uh, whatever. Way to remember all the easy ones. Half of these are so esoteric and silly that I, I they just... Uh, uh, the flying woman. Yeah, well, the flying woman and the... Uh, masterless man mm-hmm. are basically the same thing, but for men or women. Yes. But it's all performative. Like we were saying earlier, you don't have to be like, oh, I'm obsessed with being the mother and I've got like a weird like mother issues and I'm basically a broken person obsessed with motherhood. Yeah, and I earn minor charges when I mother someone who isn't actually my kid. Like if I sneak into a park and like push someone else's kid in a swing. Instead, you are just embodying an ideal. Mm -hmm. So if you want to embody the archetype of the mother, anytime you act in accordance with the mother uh, archetype and don't do any of their taboos, because avatars also have taboos, Mm -hmm. then you, instead of getting charges, you have a skill that is your avatar skill and you get powers based on how high of a skill you are. There are four powers for each one. Uh, the first one k- kicks in at anything under 50%. The last one kicks in when you pass 90% in that skill. Uh, and that's all they are. Uh, everything else is just you're a regular human, but you have this one avatar skill that's relevant. And one taboo that's bad. So, you know, if you're looking at something like, say, The Mother then you're going to get the uh, skills basically off of as long as you performatively act like a mother, Mm -hmm. up until you hit 11% every two weeks that you don't break taboo and you act in accordance with whatever this archetype is, you get a percent. Mm -hmm. So up to 11%, you can just get that. Yeah. Anything past that, you have to start spending XP in the game. Yes. Which the game is, it spends a lot of time talking about how some very high level avatars don't realize it just because the way that they live their lives happens to coincide with one of these archetypes. Mm -hmm. So you're like, oh yeah, someone is just a very devoted mother and... Uh, like takes in a lot of orphans or foster children or whatever is very devoted and loving. And it turns out, you know, this person has like 75% skill in the mother avatar. Yeah. But they don't know it. They don't know anything about the occult underground. They just happen to live their life that way. Yeah. Although the fact that you have to spend XP on it makes me go, all right, but in a, where are you getting that XP? Exactly. When, it, when, it, when you're talking about it in a, you know, actual game terms level you're like yeah but what person is going like "Ooh, i'm gonna spend my xp on that when they're not i mean it's not like the people in the actual game are like ah i have gained six xp in motherhood 
So, I mean, that's uh, yeah. it, it's interesting. It's weird. I, it mostly, I feel like that sentence that they included about how a lot of them don't know their avatars is to make the short stories more more uh, resonant. Well, it's it's an interesting flavor thing for mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, yeah, there's someone out there that, you know, is just embodying some ideal and they don't realize it, but they still channel it. Yeah. So on the topic of the one that would make the worst possible player character, you really got to give that gold star to the MVP. The MVP is the one where you look at it and go, this is an NPC. Like, this isn't a player character. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is you embody the archetype of a sports hero. Yes. And yeah, you're a Wayne Gretzky. You are a Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. You're out there being a sports hero, and you get uh, like your percentage points is essentially based on are thousands of people watching you play? Okay, great. You're embodying the MVP. Yeah. And the taboo is being a cheat or uh, being like any kind of. Like, if you get caught doing something bad, yeah, which scandalous. isn't to say you can't do it, it's just when you get caught. Although, I feel like that's kind of a, a, a clean-cut look at, at uh, yesteryear, given that a lot of sports heroes are like, oh, yeah, I'm famous, also I bit a guy's ear off once. And Yeah, but yeah. that means they're just famous, they're not an MVP. Sure, okay. Uh, I mean, they did get their own Nintendo game. I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, that doesn't make them an occult MVP, just a regular one. Fair, okay. Uh, the MVPs, all of the powers that they get from their, their avatar skill are do better in the game you're playing. No, most of them are do better for the community. Oh, that's right. In. They're like, they're like when you're past the 50% mark, it's like every time you do something good, uh, the community you're in gets a little better. Yeah, you're like, ooh, I won the championship, which means my hometown suddenly got better and like <laughs> now the community center is saved. It's very like sports movie mm-hmm. more than it is actual sports hero MVP. Like I'm Mike Tyson or I'm like actually full of like money and I I'm LeBron James or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's much more like, Hey kids, we're the bad news bears and we just saved the town center and we're the mighty ducks. It feels much more like that. Yeah. But the way in which you gain percentages is to be, and on TV level, yes, MVP. Well, I mean, the, the Mighty Ducks too are, are in three hit movies. I mean, to be a fair. lot of people saw the Mighty Ducks. To be fair, to be very fair, the Adventures of Gordon Bombay and his team were, are, are universally. Re- I, I'm going to create a whole kind of mancer who just watches the Mighty Ducks movies. That's fine. Yeah, you could do that. I get a significant. I'm ch- going to be a video mancer yeah. who watches the Mighty Ducks cartoon show. Ooh, that's going to be tough. There's only like 12 episodes I of know. that. No. But uh, I get a minor charge every time I get a group of people to quack with me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's one where not only is it the only way a character can emulate this archetype is by already being a sports celebrity. Yes. So you'd already have to be in like, oh, I'm in the major leagues. Yeah. Like, I am an NBA player. Yeah, you can't be a street kid basketball player who who's the MVP. No. You you can't do that because it specifically is like, oh, you need thousands of people to watch you. So it doesn't matter if you're the best basketball player on your street and you care about it. You never break the taboo and everything else the MVP is. You do that. Not enough people have watched you, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. 
Like, the, and you feel, I feel like that was kind of a failure of design because I, because I want the MVP to be, you know, your Rudy's, your people who have talent and passion and so on, but maybe haven't hit the big time for whatever reason. Like if I was building an MVP, I wanted to be like, I'm Cooper Scuggins. I've been playing minor league baseball out of mud, Bud, Arkansas since 1927. And that would be actually super great. Yeah. Cause you'd be like, oh yeah, no, I'm someone who plays like minor league hockey. Yeah. But I always inhabit the the role the persona yeah. of the mvp and i make it so that like my hometown is super cool yeah so other ones that exist there's the the dictator who oh by the way all of these also have examples listed uh in case you were curious like oh who are some examples of the possible uh dictators throughout history oh what well, do you know hitler was one of them great yeah. yeah obviously well i mean it's it's more of the it's not a dictator it's like the the pedagogue or something. Yeah, that's right. It's the demagogue. Demagogue. Thank you. Yeah, but it's it's the demagogue. It's, it's the person who basically goes around and convinces people to agree with them. Yeah. Um. You've also got the uh, the, the merchant. The, mer- the merchants. I, I think the merchant's the most boring one. No, the merchant. Well, I mean, the other thing is the merchant is the most powerful. It one. is very very powerful, but it's still like, what are you? I embody the spirit of the person who sells things to other people, and I'm like, that's not really. An archetype that people whisper about in hushed tones. That yeah, man, a salesman. That's, sure. that's a that is an archetype. Now yeah. the the thing is, it actually has powers that can affect things. Mm-hmm. Unlike most of the archetypes, yeah. which are just like, what are you? I'm I'm the avatar of the pilgrim. What does that mean? I can go places. I mean, the pilgrim can really move around. If you need to get places, it's good at it. Oh, yeah. But even then, it's like, oh, until I hit above 90%, I can't take anyone with me, so it doesn't matter if I'm going to yeah. a party yeah. with a pilgrim. I think, yes. Uh, you've also got the one that I thought was the worst in terms of examples was the mystic hermaphrodite. <sighs> okay. So, the, we're talking about line walking. Th- I knew that we were going to get here eventually, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. and that was one of the ones I was saving. The mystic hermaphrodite, and tangentially related to that, the metaplot character of the freak. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so the freak is just a super powerful NPC who is both the mystic hermaphrodite and bodyhood godwalker, which means he's like the most powerful mystic hermaphrodite avatar there is. Yeah, the godwalker is, there's only one of any given avatar is a godwalker, mm-hmm. and they get to make up their own power. The freak is also a high, a, a cosmic level. I believe it's uh, epidiromancer, epidiromancer, which we didn't even mention, but they're the ones who cut themselves for power. They are flesh crafters, yeah. essentially. So the freak is basically their flesh is done in an hour or less. Yeah, the freak is basically this person that operates out of California somewhere and is like Chicago. A, Chicago, sorry, is a genderless. Uh, Double kind, double wizard that like does surgeries and 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 uh, is gaining power for some reason. Yeah. They, I mean, it's assumed that they're probably trying to ascend to a new type of god. Yeah, but their whole thing is they're like, oh yeah, I can switch genders at will. I embody everything for the mystic hermaphrodite, mm-hmm. which just the concept of the mystic hermaphrodite being an avatar thing is. I mean, there's some problems there. Well, okay, so the the obvious problems, which you you would be worried about, things like transphobia or something, and those there's a little bit, not as much as you think. The real problem is that everything about the the mystic hermaphrodite in terms of description is. You remember that character, the Sphinx from Mystery Men, who did sp- spoken nothing but like po- potential tautologies. Yes, that's all of it. It's just like the the mystic hermaphrodite embraces change, but also stability. Yeah, the whole thing with the mystic hermaphrodite is it's less about gender, even though that's what the name would make you think. 
think mm-hmm. it is about. They're like, oh no, it's it is about duality and like this probably should have just been called like Janice or something. Yeah, but the Two Face that hates Batman. Yeah, honestly, Two Face is basically exactly what a Mystic Hermaphrodite is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Is someone that has very conflicting ideals mm-hmm. and never settles on one thing. Yes, it is. The most annoying, chaotic, neutral character in your party mm-hmm. is definitely an avatar of the Mystic Hermaphrodite. That's exactly right, yeah. But when you look at the examples of who's a Mystic Hermaphrodite, it's just every like historically famous uh, transvest- gender, bender. gender bender that you can possibly think of. Yeah. Like, the most recent one that they mention is, is RuPaul. I'm like, like, RuPaul doesn't embody conflicting ideals. Yeah, RuPaul doesn't make decisions on the flip of a die. RuPaul runs shows and stuff. RuPaul is very stable. <laughs> RuPaul... Does business. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. I mean, they were like, well, RuPaul's a famous cross-dresser, right? RuPaul's got different gender stuff going on, and I'm like, come on. You've spent so much time in this book giving a fuck, and then you got to the examples on that one and just like, I don't know. What's the first thing that comes to mind? I'm glad that it came out when it did, and so that we don't have to hear him just list all the people from RuPaul Drag Race. <laughs> Uh, the the thing with it is it could be very interesting again nowadays being like oh yeah the idea of being like not non-binary mm-hmm. is much more in line with the mystic hermaphrodite than say being a uh like a drag queen yeah because the drag queen is much more about like putting on a show it doesn't have to do with like, not choosing sides and staying within, like, a gray space. Yeah. And that's exactly what being gender non-binary would be. Plus, I feel like the drag queen in and of itself would actually make for a very good avatar. Yeah. Because uh, it's it's super performative. It it's represents creating... I mean, for all the times that people think of, of drag queen uh, and, and the performance style as being like, oh, watch me do the share song. Like, it's it's about creating a look that isn't necessarily completely feminine, but is yet identifiable as feminine and still somehow beautiful and different. And and to me, it's like, that's a that's a whole new thing. Well, yeah, a like a queen is much less likely to be like, I am trying to look as much like just a woman as possible. Yeah, exactly. As it is, it's I am putting on like a larger than life persona to, to i mean to the, the point where there are women who are drag queens yeah uh so uh, it's I, I don't know the the fact that they, they used rapal there was really jarring it just it took me right out i was like oh you didn't think about this at all i mean you could have picked some like famously androgynous performers you could have put david bowie there and it would have made more sense yeah it's just also one of those things where i'm like i don't i don't want you to put this in a game like, if you want to, like I said, if you want to put it as, like, Janice, and it's, what is this, the avatar of being a chaotic neutral idiot. Yeah. Okay, sure. Great. You can't ever pick a side. You're very two-faced about things. You, the taboo is ever, like, saying, I'm going to do my one ideal. Mm-hmm. All right, great. But to call it the mystic hermaphrodite means you are automatically putting baggage on it that it the game doesn't want it to have. And doesn't necessarily do a good job of supporting. Exactly. Yeah. So that was a bit of a problem when you come across it. Uh, and then it, it wraps up with a few more. There's the true king. There's the... Uh the, the the mother the uh, the the flying woman the the unknown soldier 
there's the warrior. Yeah. And I the, am the, the warrior. The masterless man. The I am the warrior. Yeah. Shooting at the walls of heartache is what you get to, the ability to do at 50%. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, they're not that interesting, and the Jungian archetypes are so... I don't know. What's the word I want to... What's that kind of tarot card pretension? Is it wooey? Is that what I want to say <laughs> they are? Wooey? Uh, I mean, part of me goes, all right, I like the idea of this as far as for the game is concerned. Mm-hmm. But honestly, Avatar as a path to power, it feels like if you were in a mixed group. Yes. And you were like, ooh, I'm the Avatar of... I'm even going to pick someone that's like... I'm a badass. I'm the avatar of the executioner. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm following. And I've got a good percentage on that. Okay, but uh, but the dude who's like the epideromancer can just straight up cause a dude's flesh to fly off. Yeah. Or like close his windpipe by touching him. Mm-hmm. So what can you do? Oh, I, uh, I can follow a guy real good. <laughs> well, that's nice. <laughs> well, if you give me eight hours, I can get across the United States. Cool beans, my dude. Except, no, for the Executioner, you can't. You'd have to be like a pilgrim. That's the pilgrim, yeah. The Executioner would just be like, oh, my prey can't get away from me. No, I can't get there faster, but ooh, baby. Now, John, we've been talking for oh, about an hour and a half now. Uh, and Jesus. We, we have yet to mention uh, proxying and tilting? Meh. We also didn't mention any of the uh, the personality stuff that you get, because you also have... A oh, fear and a yeah. uh, noble drive and This a... is just a really big book. Yeah. It was very dense. The book is all weeds. Yeah, there's a a bunch of stuff in here. Honestly, we really could have split this into two episodes. This, this might have been a pretty good two parter. Yeah. Uh but yeah, you you're you get a bunch of personality stuff which gets triggered whenever like scary things or specific types of triggers occur to you. Uh there are two types of notches that you put on them. Uh, which is well, no. This is different. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're right. No, you're right. The the helplessness things we already talked about. Yeah, yeah. And they're not those are those are the uh, if you come across something spooky and you roll for unnatural, then you might get a notch on there. And yeah, like for example, if there was something weird in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what's the thing you're talking about though? Uh, freaky ghost bed. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't afraid of no sleep. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and then you can get hardened notches, and that means you're inured. You don't even roll for certain things that are below your threshold. So if I have four notches in violence, mm-hmm. then it means I don't even care unless something is a level five or greater violence check. That said, it isn't automatically a good thing that you have a bunch of hardened notches in well, violence. Well, no, I mean, it means you just get numb to the world. Yes, so there's, it's bad either way. Uh, but what but were you talking the, about? The thing I'm talking about is... When you're making your character, in addition to your obsession, mm-hmm. you also have a three different drives. Mm-hmm. So you have a thing that makes you afraid, and oh, that's right. you have a thing that makes you uh, angry, mm-hmm. and you have a thing that is your noble drive. Yeah. So when you are confronted with one of these three things, you get bonuses to your skills, mm-hmm. but only if, like, when you're confronted with the thing you are afraid of... You get a bonus to all your skill checks, but only if it is to avoid or get away from your fear thing. That's right. For your anger thing, you get it if it's to either confront it or destroy it. And then for your noble ideals, anytime you are in pursuit of them, you can get a bonus. Yeah, so you have a rage, a passion, and a noble drive. 
uh, all of which are voted most likely to be things you press triangle for in Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> uh, so there you go. That's there's a lot to oh, and, and also your health is your body, your body stat, and there's role, there's all kinds of rules for combat that we didn't even get into because this isn't a game about combat, really. No, but I mean all these things that come up. The combat chapter starts with a full paragraph of "Here are ways to get out of combat without fighting. Please consider them." Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe you just renegotiate. Maybe you walk away. But there's a way to, like, for example, get a second action on your uh, during your turn by rolling really low, well on your struggle roll. Uh, but there's all these things in there that are that are that are. So the combat system, just not the most important aspect of this game. So for the vo- the folks who get mad at us when we don't go into a detailed description of the combat system, and I know you're out there, uh, uh, don't worry about it. This isn't that kind of game. Yeah, yeah. The plus we've been talking for so. No, you're you're not even listening anymore, are you? You don't care. Yeah. We haven't done a bit in minutes. It's been forever. Oh, no, we did the uh, when there's something weird in your neighborhood thing. Well, I know. Yeah, so we're fine. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. There's been a bit recently, John. <laughs> we've, been a, we've been able to work a bit into this so deep into the weeds <laughs> podcast. Yeah, this is a Unknown t- Armies is the type of book mm-hmm. that, honestly, you could run a full fucking series of stuff about this book because you could get into it with so many of the adepts and avatars and things that you could just talk endlessly about like well what does this mean what could you do with it how does that play with the world that they present and Mm -hmm. it's just it's so interesting but there is so much there yeah there's a ton it's there's an absolute ton to this book uh but what i would like to do instead of discussing every little aspect of the book john is merely ask you to tell me what your favorite thing about it is Ooh, I, I mean, I already said that the video mancer was my favorite adept, mm-hmm. but I think the fact that the book has a fine line that it walks between the sort of super crunchy games and the more narrative games, I really like the fact that you make up your own skills that, uh, a lot of it is just sort of based on uh, things that aren't, like, set in stone. Mm-hmm. It's very, like, oh, you make up whatever you want for your noble ideal. You make up whatever your skill is. And it feels very much, you know, like the story games in that aspect. But it has that level of crunch mm-hmm. and granularity to a lot of the things you can do that it does scratch that itch of character creation Mm -hmm. because that's the one thing about story games that never really gets me is I never look at a story game RPG and go, Oh, I can't wait to make a character in this because for me, making character is playing with levers and there's no levers there. Yeah, exactly. It's just a blank sheet. Yeah, no, I mean, there are super story, like PBTA story type games where I still get caught up in the, in the character creation because I'm really having a fun time designing the character. Yeah, like I want to play masks so bad right now because on a whim I came up with a uh, with a superhero name the other day that I loved. Yeah, yeah, the, and, the, the Stradivarian, and, and, and I want to play as that character so bad. It's one of those things where I I just can't get into like 
Fate, if you're like, ooh, make a character in Fate, I I'm can't like, do it oh, I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, but both of us, just the other day, we got a weird hankering for 4th edition D&D. Yeah. And we were like, oh. I love pulling levers. I want to make, you were like, I want to make a swarm druid so bad. I've wanted to make a swarm druid so bad since that PHB came out. That's in the, uh, it's two. not, it's not it, well, the druid's in PHB too. The swarm druid is it's in, in primal power. There you go. Oh, I know. <laughs> And I want to make a Warforged Warden. Ugh, I, want, I want to call a 1-900 number and talk about it in hushed tones. <laughs> with a boxer. <laughs> with a boxer. With a Porsche Boxster. Callbacks! <laughs> bits! We were doing some. We got some bits in There's, here. That's fine. You hit your bit quota. Anyway, so what's your favorite thing in the book? Uh, I like this, the section on how to design your own uh, adepts. Oh, uh, yeah. Because that's the thing that this game really, in, in terms of the... the, the juice flowing thing that it the thing that gets your juices flowing in this book is the ideas that exist at the outside of, of what they've already created yeah there is so much periphery to this mm -hmm. that you're like you know they have the whole section on the avatars and they're like oh by the way there's like 32 or something of these mm -hmm. and we've only given you like 12 yeah so obviously there's a ton more you could create and that 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 uh, the, it gives you a little section after the avatar, uh, the adepts of how to make more adepts, and you're like, ooh, oh yeah, I can just, oh, I can feel that. Ooh, I can make my tubomancer. I can make that youtubomancer who's powered by streams, <laughs> powered by the streams, <laughs> and they crossed. Let me tell you about another another character who's powered by streams, John, my piss wizardomancer. I was about to say what Jack Nicholson. <laughs> He's got that thick, thick ropey stream. stream. <laughs> no, this is th this is the guy who gets a minor charge if you fill the ogre's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Dare you enter his magical realm? Yeah, I, and that's one of those things is you're like, oh, I could turn anything anyone could be obsessed with mm -hmm. into a wizard. Any weird obsession could become a type of wizard, and I love that because there are so many people out there with so many weird obsessions. Oh, exactly. You're like, well, I'm going to turn every episode of the F-plus into a wizard. Yeah, or how many charges did the fact that the, that the uh, Fallout Equestria books are the sixth largest book ever written? <laughs> uh, how many charges did someone get for doing that? Oh, yeah. How how many charges did the Ponymancer get for this? Or how about a person who derives charges from getting into long, pedantic fights on the Wikipedia talk pages? How about someone who gets charges from long, pedantic fights while they're playing a board game with their friend? <laughs> what are you talking, Flux? Which one? Are what, we, what are we talking here? Which which fight are we talking about? What are we, what are we doing do we, here? Do we get in a recent do fight? We, did we do this? Because I, I felt like we played D&D &D the other night for the first time in, in a long time, and I felt like I was the chillest I've ever been in any game ever. Ever. That was uh, you. I don't know if you noticed, but I was I was at my absolute chillest. It's true. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know what came over me. You were a chill bro. And something something's new. You Some, were chill bro swaggers. Something else has happened in my life, and all of a sudden I don't give a shit anymore, and I'm not fighting. All of a sudden I don't care about anything, and I've got a shamrock shake, and I, I just know. fuck the world, folks. John John got both a large shamrock shake and a large sweet tea with his dinner tonight. He is nihilistic. I have lost all of my fucking give a shit. Watch the local San Diego paper for, for the stories of him doing insane things. Yeah, there's there's going to be a point where either I'm going to come back from this or I am going to become an entropomancer. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to see the story about him climbing the tower at a 76 gas station, unscrewing the ball and rolling it down a hill. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, what's your least favorite thing? Least favorite thing in this, like I really just want to narrow it down to... <sighs> I want to say either the Mystic Hermaphrodite or the Freak. I kind of hate both of them. I'm mm. going to take the Freak, though, okay. because I I hate, hate meta plot hate. characters a lot. Yeah, and also the Count St. Germain is the same 
in the same boat at this point. At least the Count St. Germain, they're like, ooh, this is a weird person that might be in the background or might not. He's basically the Lady of Pain of Unknown Armies. It's just like, what is this? It's someone who's been alive since, like, the beginning of time, and it's basically Vandal Savage Mm -hmm. as a character in Unknown Armies. Yeah. But they don't give him a stat block. They don't get into his shit a lot. He's just sort of the catch-all... Like, oh, something went wrong in the occult underground. St. Germain! Yeah. I bet it was him. And his elder flower liqueurs. <laughs> so that didn't bother me as much as the freak who they were like, oh, no, he's active and currently does things. Or it. That's one of the other things is instead of saying they, they use it. I'm mm. like, that's that feels like a bad gender neutral way to refer to someone. Yeah, unless you happen to tell us that that's what the, the pronoun that the freak, freak prefers. Yeah. Yeah. So they always refer to the freak as it. And I'm like, ooh, that's dehumanizing. But whatever. They is the human pronoun. (laughs) So the freak runs around and it's the exact type of like DMPC bullshit that I hate. Mm -hmm. It's the Elminster of this world. Mm -hmm. It's the what happens? Oh, uh, the freak can do whatever they want. They can show up anywhere, be whoever they want. Yeah. They have... The most power in both of the ways that you can have power, yeah. and there's no way to stop them, and we don't even give a stat block, because if you try and do anything, they'll kill you. And I'm like, fuck you, don't include this in your game, this is garbage. I mean, it's fine, Soul Calibur has Voldo in their game, and it's... (laughs) (laughs) Voldo isn't super-powered, Voldo can't just win. You don't know that. Oh, I know that. <laughs> I've played Soul Calibur. I know that. <laughs> okay, so anyway. So the freak is the worst thing for me. Sure. What about you? I'm going to just say anytime this book tries to play along the lines of transgression and fucks it up. Okay. The treacherous bisexual, the <laughs> the the mystic hermaphrodite. Uh, I, I'm sorry, but I would wear a shirt that says treacherous bisexual. I know. Now it. that I've said it a bunch of times, I've come around to it. Right? <laughs> like, just having a big like pink and blue shirt that says treacherous bisexual and it's got like a rainbow underneath Who played it captain jack harkness and and all and merlin on uh on arrow that dude's like a famously bisexual actor and i i think if he made a movie called treacherous bisexual i would love that oh yeah come on now so maybe i'm coming around to it maybe i'm gonna make that my twitter handle <laughs> maybe maybe i th- assume that james already probably has that as a t-shirt somewhere <laughs> beware the treacherous bisexual if not i mean he listens to all of our shit so if not if it'll not be- if he made it to the end of this one then boy howdy you better not fucking steal that we're getting on cafe press right now <laughs> or if you do we want to cut cuz we're legendarily lazy <laughs> we are so goddamn lazy we didn't go to cafe press my, my avatar type is the treacherous bisexual my That's avatar type is the lazy bastard <laughs> <laughs> but yeah anytime they try to play those transgressive lines and fail it uh, I'm not. I'm. That, I'm just gonna say that's my least favorite. They they got real close. This is as far as books go that could that, that try to walk those lines. This does a really good job ninety percent of the time. Yeah, I mean it definitely falls to the wrong side several times, mm-hmm. but at least it's trying to well, be careful about. Well, like it. I was mentioning, that one about the aquatic ape women uh, is one of the cosmic groups that you can play as. That felt like straight up just parody of feminism. I don't know. Uh, so there's there's a few points in the book where that kind of thing happens, and I'm like, hey, don't you don't, you, hey. don't you ain't got the you ain't got the credentials to parody feminism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what the credentials are any women in your writing staff. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go, John. Would you play this game? Of course I would. Yeah, it's so much fun to. to it, well, I would love to make dumb nonsense. Yeah, in this. you make characters in this game. That's, yeah. that's not a problem. 
And of course, I, I feel the same way. There you go. And they have it. All right. So, uh, John, before we can finish off this episode, we, we have, have like 12 different things to talk to we you have about. so much housekeeping this time. Oh, my God. But stick it around is... because, you know, we always make it into jokes, so it'll be fine. You know. You know it. We know it. So, yeah. Uh, normally, John, we have a thing that we you can buy on our website for 50 bucks where we'll read a, a short ad for you uh, for your game or, you know, just like we, we'll do like wedding proposals or whatever the hell you want. Anything. Uh, as long as it, we can read it in under uh, under a couple of minutes. Uh, yeah, I mean, normal stipulations. Normal stipulations. Uh, we, we reserve the right to reserve service and what have you. Um, but uh, normally no one buys these things. It's just, uh, Who buys this? It's, it doesn't seem like uh, 50 bucks to read an ad on our show. seems like it would be an awesome deal, but for some reason no one ever wants to. I know. Um, but a, a few people uh, bought them like months ago, and somehow they're all cashing them in right now. Like Like this episode is... The cash in. Yeah. Well, so, but, here we go. But, but uh, normally, don't worry about getting caught up with a bunch of these. Just, uh, you know, because not that many people buy them. So stop by our website, systemmasterypodcast.com, and you can click the Give Us Some Money button, and there it is, 50 bucks. We'll read Little something man. on the air. There you go. Put that shit in our hand. Yeah, put that shit in our hand. We'll, we'll give you a 50 bu- a buck bag, whatever that, a 50 dime bag. A 50 dime bag? Uh-huh. It's a bag with 50 <laughs> dimes in it. <laughs> we'll let you borrow a cup of dimes. <laughs> First one of these comes to us from uh, Saylorn, and here you go. Oh, most normal of show voices, either one of you. Yeah, in the most normal show voice. Didn't want us to do the dog dick don't, voice. Don't or... do not do this in a weird accent. Don't do it in one of your weird dumb bit voices. You, you don't want it in British? We can do it in British. Eh? <laughs> you floppy old topper. Floppy old topper. All right, here we go. Gishes and Goblins is a D&D alternative, mostly based on 5e, but with the sorts of changes you typically find in a heartbreaker. Some of the stats have different names. You have agility instead of dexterity. Wisdom and charisma are reorganized into perception and spirit. You're back down to three saving throws. Hit points scale less quickly, and AC scales more quickly. The pacing is slowed down, so you don't need six fights in a day before you feel threatened. Classes are balanced so that nobody becomes overpowered if you happen to take a lot of short rests. The usual stuff. With a name like Gishes and Goblins, you know what you're signing up for. Look, this game was written in like six months by one person. The total budget was 51 cents for postage. There are a million games just like it, and the chance that you'll actually end up playing this thing is pretty much zero, unless you live in San Diego and frequent meetup.com. But hey, if you're kind of the kind of person who listens to System Mastery, then you're probably also the kind of person who just reads random game books for fun. This is a simple, class-based fantasy game. You could read this as a palate cleanser between Shadowrun and Double Cross. And if we're being perfectly honest, then you're probably also the sort of nerd who is working on your own game and you're a free time. So you could mine this for ideas. I know John's one of those guys. I'm uh, mining them. Mm-hmm. You're mining ideas. Uh, there are some decent innovations involving armor and its interactions with unarmed combat, which might be worth stealing. Even if you just want to see a new take on warlords or wild mages, these are examples of those classes which you haven't seen yet. As the name of the game implies, it's also super easy to make a gish, uh, which is uh, fighter wizard type stuff, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you want to be a fighter wizard, you can just multi-class that way. You get all the extra attacks you would expect, plus heavy armor, and you stay on the same spell progression as the pure wizard. The only thing you miss out on by multi-classing is that you don't get a subclass. So why not head over to drivethroughrpg.com uh, and check it out? I mean, obviously the reason is because you don't want to spend the price of a fancy coffee drink for the PDF of a book that doesn't have any interior art, but... Maybe consider buying it anyway. You could even follow an affiliate link if you see one of those lying around and help out your favorite podcast or whatever. Wink. Oh, you mentioned our show, so we don't have to. Wink. Yeah, we got that affiliate link yeah, on the other side. If you go to systemmasterypodcast.com, you can follow the link to Drive Through RPG. Yeah, then you can check out Gishes and Goblins. That's Gishes and Goblins, not to be confused with Griffins and Gargoyles. 
Yes. So there you go. What if I want to play a Gish Zarai? Or uh, a Gish Yankee? If you want to play a Gish Yankee, uh, you've got a, that's a Gith Yankee who's a real dish. <laughs> which is which is rare because they have jaundicey yellow skin and no noses. True. Yeah, so it's 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 tricky to pull that off. Ooh, yeah, but I'm a snack, baby. Mm, that's a delicious dish, Yankee. <laughs> so uh, there you go. That's Gishes and Goblins. Thank you very much, Saylorn. Now, John, I think you've also got one to read. Yes, indeed. Uh, we've got one from, looks like, Stephen Fleetwood. And uh, they want you to know about Leviathan Rising. It's a game of high-action 17th century magical rebels fighting for the enlightenment ideals of freedom, equality, and justice against a corrupt elite. Mm-hmm. Powered by fate, this is a complete tabletop RPG. Okay. Uh, characters in Leviathan Rising are the heroes of the rebellion, strengthened by the right of the champion to stand against their foe, a cabal of sorcerous nobles called the Peerage. And cross swords with tyrannical nobles, make passionate speeches to inflame the mob, disrupt sinister rituals, and free the slaves. Yeah, man. This is great. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I'm on board. Sure. Uh, It's available on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about a 300-page hardcover book. Ooh. Uh, It's 25 pounds, which is around 32 U.S. dollars. I thought the dollar was stronger than the pound right now. No, the nope. pound is always stronger than the dollar. Oh, I you, mean, you just see how that goes in about, what, eight days? Well, I was going to say, uh, after Brexit, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Uh, and it's got worldwide shipping available, so, mm-hmm. you know, wherever you are, you can get it. Okay. So you can go ahead and back Leviathan Rising today on Kickstarter. Just go ahead and search for Leviathan Rising. I'm glad that we have two different kinds of RPGs that we're, uh, we're helping people shield today, because one of them is already exists and is on drive through RPG and is a... Uh, you know, a, a, a fairly cheap one, while the other one's going to be a, a... One's an up-and-comer. Well, well, and I, if yeah. there's not a magical guillotine in that game, I'm going to be very disappointed. Oh, my gosh. There should there should be not only a magical guillotine, but but the guy guillotine himself should be running around with, Should like, be a wizard. Should be a wizard who who summons heavy blades over people's heads. Oh, he's already dead, though. Oh, he right. died from his own spells. Yeah, and that, fa- that, that, that guillotine guy was killed by a guillotine, isn't that? Yeah. Uh, that's a famous legend. He had his own head chopped off by a guillotine. Yeah. And it was, but it was just like a rogue guillotine. It had legs and yeah, arms. Yeah, a rogue guillotine. Yeah, it had legs and arms and shit. It was just running around. I'm just imagining a guillotine rolling down the street, and we're like, get out of the way! I'm, now I'm imagining a guillotine rolling down the street and smoking endo. <laughs> this guillotine is sipping on gin and juice. Chopping up gin and juice. Leviathan Rising. Mm-hmm. Okay, and our last Jumbotron of the day. Uh, this is someone recently, a, a friend of the show, Rafe, bought uh, two uh, Jumbotrons for for uh, another podcast that he's a big fan of and asked us to do uh, a couple of ad reads on a couple of consecutive episodes. So uh, the first one we completely winged because that's just how we do. That's what we do that's, here. That's, uh, that's how the lemur We're do. trained in improv. Yeah, we are. We are completely trained in improv. So all of our listeners who might be actually trained in improv, please take offense to that. Please. Please do. Please pass us the angry energy ball. <laughs> oh, I got an angry energy ball. All right, here we go. Uh, Rachel Watches Star Trek is a podcast where Chris Lackey, co-host of the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast and full-time nerd, uh, and his wife Rachel, psychotherapist and Star Trek virgin, uh, talk about each episode of the original Star Trek series from the original pilot, getting her outsider's perspective on one of the most influential sci-fi shows of all time. That's weird. These folks are British. I would have figured they'd go for that Doctor Stra- uh, Doctor That who? Doctor Strange. That Doctor Strange. That, that fam- Doctor Strangelove. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. pretty sure they would just watch Doctor Strangelove over and over and review it every time. Yeah, or Torchwood. Um, okay. <laughs> Here's what some of their Patreon supporters have to say. Fuck you. Uh, 
<laughs> Fuck you, System Mastery. Oh, that's a weird oh, hold one. On. I don't have to do this one in a, fr- in a good voice because it doesn't specify that. Like, like, uh, like. Oh Sailor's yeah, they didn't did. say we couldn't do this in a stupid mm. British voice. One of the reasons why I love Rachel Watch's Star Trek is because it's relentlessly cheerful and kind spirited in its approach, even when the episodes are duff ones. Also, it benefits from Rachel coming from outside the geek consensus, so to speak. So I find Rachel's culturally unburdened take to be super refreshing and always on point. She's a real floppy topper. Rachel watches Star... Oh, hang on, John. Do it in a diff- do the second one of those in a different British <laughs> accent for me, would you? Uh, all right. Rachel watches Star Trek is a great podcast to lighten up a workday and learn something new about Star Trek. Join up now. To not would be illogical. <laughs> uh, I'll try the last one here. I'm a patriot. Oh, Jesus! I'm a patron because oh, Chris Monty Python are fun and honest. Not worshipping the holy writ of Star Trek and not automatically mocking science fiction as the dregs of entertainment. I look forward to the analysis of each episode seen through fresh eyes pointing out nuances I hadn't considered before. Ooh, oh, baked beans, spam, spam, spam. I object to all this sex on telly. I mean, I keep falling off. <laughs> There's one more there. <laughs> Maybe you can do it in a liver puddlian. Uh, I don't know. I like podcasts, yes, but don't really listen to lots of them. It uh, takes not only an interesting topic and slick speakers to create something of real value and interest. It takes a special hard-to-define magic to make people willing and even enthusiastic to listen for hours on end. Rachel watches Star Trek has that magic. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, okay. Uh <laughs> Add to that a great premise that probably a lot of nerdy people can relate to. Based on the cliche, opposites attract. Many of us, including myself, are married to spouses who just aren't quite as into the nerdy stuff as we are and may not see what all the fuss is about. The idea of being able to convince that spouse to deep dive with you into the genre slash you love really is compelling. And as it turns out, highly entertaining. As it turns out. Finally, as a longtime fan... Wait, am I still in a quote? Oh my god, are we still in a... Oh god, we're still in the quote! (laughs) Jeff, we never got out of the quote! (laughs) Oh shit. They went and blew it all up, you bastards! Okay, hang on. Hold on, hold on, I'll finish that off. I'll finish that quote off. (laughs) It's not a quote. I just realized that he's, as a long-term fan, I couldn't tell if he was talking about his own podcast, but he means of Star Trek. No. I'm going to finish this off in a different accent. Oh, please. Uh, Can can I pick? Can I pick a a particular... I want Scottish, please. Finally, as a long time Rachel watches Star Trek allows me, sometimes forces me to look at the episodes in a new light and consider aspects I would never have thought of on my own. Rachel watches Star Trek is one of those rare shows that I consider a reliable pick-me-up. It never fails to make me smile and laugh and fondly remember one of my favourite childhood TV shows. Mm -hmm. Chris and Rachel are fantastic together. They're witty, funny, intelligent, well-informed, and most important of all, they're honest about each and every Star Trek episode they investigate. There you All go. All right, there you go. That was a great. That was still inside of a quote. I, I no told way. you we're still we're still inside the quote. What's happening, Jeff? We've never been outside of the quote. We Our entire life has been a quote. This is a quote. What I'm saying right now. Don't you understand? I'm in the unknown armies. <laughs> Thoreau. <laughs> Henry David Thoreau. Uh, Okay, there's actually one last bit here. Listen now for free whenever you get your pod, or wherever you get your podcast, or join the crew on patreon.com slash Rachel Watches Star Trek for lots of bonus content. This month's bonus content is Rachel inflicting another erotic Kirk slash Spock story on Chris. Check it out. Great. Check it out. Hey, 
check it out. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Those are all of the jumbotrons. Jesus H. That'll. Ne- I don't think that'll ever happen again. That was a weird confluence of everything coming together at once. It's not like this wasn't already a long episode or anything, so it's fine. It's fine. Now we're going to move on to the next segment: letters from listeners. All right. Now we've got another hour of content, so just sit right back and, and you'll hear a tale. <laughs> A tale of us making characters in unknown armies. That's right, because when we're done shilling for everyone else, it's time for us to wet our beaks. (laughs) Ooh, baby. We've got bonus content coming up right after this. If you subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash system mastery, we've got yet more motherfucking content. Every month. Here's how that works. Go to patreon.com slash system mastery and pledge a very minimum of a dollar. I mean, think about how good of a minimum that is. The very minimum. The very minimum, indeed. For a single dollar, you unlock the bonus content for System Mastery, which is a episode that we have originally and imaginatively called bonus content. Goddamn right. We should have come up with a name for that, and we just Fuck didn't no. think we'd have to. Uh, in bonus content, we make characters in the game that we just reviewed. I'm getting a little stir-crazy now, and it's very late at night, so we're going to work real hard on that real soon just for you. <laughs> just you wait. Patreon.com slash System Mastery. Uh, if you want to support us at higher levels, there's more bonus content to unlock. Two bucks gets you our Star, War- our Star Wars bonus content, of which there are usually four episodes a month. So come on, that's a good deal. Come on. And five bucks, the ultimate level, the creme de la creme. Well. Well, I'm fine. There's, there's way better levels you can go to. There's the creme of the creme de la creme. There's the, <laughs> there's the Ray of Leota's level. <laughs> Sir Ray, blessed is he amongst Leotas. But you can't support that level unless you are Ray Leota, so don't worry about it. Yeah. Now, I mean, if you wanted to follow in the footsteps of Ray Leota, mm-hmm. you could always pledge at a level half as much as that, mm-hmm. and then you would be walking in the footsteps maybe as a Ray Leota avatar. Yeah, I was going to say, if you, if you are obsessed with Ray Leota to the point where you need to emulate him to earn a significant charge, this will get you that charge. Yeah, $1,000 on our Patreon will get you a, a significant charge. If maybe even a major. If you're a Leota Mancer. If you're the first Ray Leota Mancer to pledge at the Ray Leota level, you get a major charge. That's right. That's No one else right now is offering you a major charge in Unknown Armies as a Patreon benefit. Only us. Just us. Just us. It's a unique, exclusive benefit. Patreon.com slash System Mastery. One, two, or five dollars unlocks various amounts of content. A thousand dollars unlocks a major charge. (laughs) So thank you so much for listening to all of this, I assume, broken up over many different periods of your day. Yes, multiple commutes. (laughs) We will, of course, be doing bonus content right now, or if you're not subscribed to that, then we will see you in two weeks. Also, we'll see you at Gen Con this year. Hey, uh, live event announcements. Man, we ain't got to do that right no, it's now. Fine. They're six months out. That was, that's as much as I'm going into. Okay, we're done here. We'll be there. So thank you so Shut much. Shut the fuck down. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Or have a good week, or whatever I end these podcasts with. Oh my god, just turn this off. <laughs> but John, I don't know how. <laughs> we're still in the quote! <laughs> 